Oh, 
come from our lips, but that would show in our everyday lives, and it would show today and tomorrow and Tuesday 
and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, every day of the week, every month of the year, every year for the rest of our lives until we meet you face to face. We love you, Lord, and we bless your name. Let your word change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can be seated. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. Who are the servants of the Lord? Do you serve him? And you're a servant, right? Just that simple. All servants of the Lord, if you're serving him, bless him. How do you bless him? Have you blessed Jesus? How do you bless him while you're serving him? Obedience, yep. What, what does it mean to bless somebody? How do you bless someone? Give him what you have out of your heart. Yeah. You know what the word blessed means? Happy. Just make him happy. Isn't it wonderful to just make Jesus happy? Every day. Serve him. It'll make him happy. Who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Yep, the night shift works too. Serving the Lord, making Him happy. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Did you know that makes Him happy? I don't know why you lift your hands when you're singing, but that's the only reason I do. It's not to impress you if you thought it was. I don't care what you think about it. It's to make Him happy. Because it makes Him happy. That's what He tells me to do. It's one of the things that makes Him happy. May the Lord bless you from Zion. You make him happy, guess what he's going to do? He's going to make you happy. May the Lord make you happy from Zion. He who made heaven and earth. Psalm 134. Welcome everyone. We're so blessed to have you here and join us this morning. If this is the first time you're here, the restrooms are through this hallway and just back in through there. Um, and there's uh, tea and water and coffee out here in the foyer. Feel free to help yourself uh, anytime through that as well. And we're going to have a children's lesson now. Brother Steve is going to share with the kids. So if the kids can come forward, any of the small kids who are here, feel free to come on up. And uh, I don't think there's many small children here, but those of you who are here, come on up. And if there's not enough of small ones, maybe the big ones can join you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Child of God, right? So, Brother Steve. Well, good morning, children. How are you doing? That's good. Well, we're going to be uh, talking about a lot of things in a short time. There's this man. His na name is, uh, uh, yeah, now where did I see it? Uh, Elkanah. And he had two wives. 
Not one, but two. One was named Hannah, and the other one was Penina. And so Elkanah went to Shiloh to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord. And uh, he was a godly man. He t uh, took to uh, sacrifice, give offerings. And also, too, that the two wives did not get along. Uh, in fact, Hannah and uh, Penanah was, they were enemies, basically. That's what Hannah felt. Because uh, Penanah had sons and daughters. Hannah didn't have none. She was very sad. Very, very sad. So, Hannah went to the um, temple, or to Shiloh, and Hannah went as well. And Hannah just poured out her heart to God because she didn't have any sons or daughters. But she also, she, she pleaded with the Lord, and she made a vow or promise. If the Lord give her a son, she would dedicate that son. And, and she was praying to God for that son. And Eli, who was the priest, the head priest, his sons were priests too. And but Eli saw her praying. She was moving her lips, but no sound was coming out. Now, have you prayed without anything coming out of your mouth, but just move your mouth? Yeah. Yes, like that. Anyway, she made a vow and says, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaiden, and remember me, and not forget thy handmaiden, but will give unto thy handmaiden a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor come upon his head. That means his hair. or He was a, what they call a Nazarene, like Samson. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli saw her mouth move, but no sound. Okay? And so he thought she was drunk. Because she, she was not sound, no sound. And he thought it was drunk. But Hannah, when she, uh, Eli went to Hannah and, and said that, Hannah answered and said... No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrow, a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She was so sad. Have you, any of you been sad before? And do you pray to the Lord to make you happy or just or ask your dad or tell your dad that you're unhappy? And does he try to comfort you? Well, you know what? Eli kind of did that. God uh, spoke through Eli. He says, then Eli answered and said, go in peace. The God of Israel grant thee thy petition, and thou hast asked of him. 
And so she went out happy that she was going to have a child. She was promised a child. And so when she had that child, they went to Shiloh. They went to the house of the Lord. And Hannah took some offerings and gave it to Eli and also left her son there, Samuel, because he was going to be that fulfilled the promise that Hannah made. Now, do you make promises? Do you try to keep them? That pleases God too. And when she, and so when, um, whoops, <laughs> when uh, Samuel that she named him Samuel, and when he became older, he took her to the temple and told Eli that he was going to be serving God there. She kept her promise, and she got blessed. And we'll find out how much blessings next time that she got. Pastor? We're going to get a treat. Uh, uh, Brother Lapp is, has something in mind. Now, it, now, it's interesting that Samuel was dedicated to the Lord before he was born. I got a question with, to you. I believe that your parents dedicated you all to the Lord, and he has something for you to do. He loves you, and he wants you to serve him with gladness, being happy, and worship him for who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for wanting us to have a relationship. Lord, I ask you to bless these children, Lord, that they will walk in your ways, praise and worship you. And Lord, that you have, they're dedicated to you and help them in their life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Go back to your seats now. Okay, we are, um, by the way, for those of you who uh, have, uh, this is your first time, again, uh, just a few announcements. We serve lunch after the uh, service here, and we invite you to just stay and join us. There's plenty of food here, and we set up the tables, and it's part of our uh, encouragement to each other in our service to the Lord is just to fellowship together. One of the things that you'll read in Acts chapter 2 that the early church did after the Holy Spirit came and, and filled people with the Holy Spirit, there's four things they did regularly. Can someone tell me what they did? Yep, they gathered together. They continually, steadfastly listened to the teaching of the apostles. They broke bread together. That means they celebrated the life and death of Jesus Christ together. And they fellowshiped together. It was part of their service. And they prayed together. So it's those four things that the Lord puts on my heart to continually do with you, with God's people. It pleases him well. It's one of the ways we make Jesus happy. Brother John, um, he's going somewhere. There, he's getting mic'd up. We're blessed to have Brother John Olive with us from Cheyenne, John and Penny. Uh, Brother John has, in the last few years, at least two years, I think, um, regularly come down every few months or so. He'll come, uh, I'll ask him to come and share the word with us. And I've always been um, blessed with John and Penny. We've known them for over 20 years and just your service and your walk with Jesus Christ has enriched Katie and I's life and I think many of you others who have known them. Uh, and if you don't know them, I encourage you to get to know them. They'll bless you. Brother John, if you'll come, I'll pray with you and you can share the word. On your way. Lord Jesus, I bless you for my brother. Pray that you would uh, encourage him today. Father, we pray that you, as you encourage him, you would encourage us. Father, whatever word you have laid on his heart, I pray that it would come through the power of the Holy Spirit and minister your words of eternal life to us. Serve us with that bread from heaven that feeds our never-dying souls that we need to live eternally even as we live in our physical bodies today. So we bless you for our brother and pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon him in a new and living way again this morning as he shares your, your word with us. In Jesus' name, amen. There we are. Okay. Got to get the red light to come on and something. So. Well, welcome. It's always a pleasure to be down here. I was, I was having a flashback singing Walking with Jesus. I remembered uh, a backpacking trip in the Wind River Mountains in August. That uh, I picked out the route, so I really can't complain. But... Uh, I lost three toenails on that journey, 
It was, uh, and I was also praying with Jesus. I was praying that we wouldn't run into a grizzly bear. So I was doing a lot of walking and a lot of praying with Jesus on that trip. Uh, and a little bit of trout fishing, you know. And, but I don't know why I flashed up in my mind, but I thought walking, walking, walking. There was a lot of walking. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that this morning. Um, uh, for those who, who don't know me, um, I have an interesting background. Uh, I, I worked in the criminal justice system for uh, almost 30 years as a state and mostly federal probation officer. And, um, and I still am involved somewhat in doing uh, sentencing mitigation work with uh, defense attorneys, primarily in federal court. And for 20 years or so, I've done a lot of uh, ministry with uh, uh, people in recovery, mostly from uh, substance abuse, but also from sexual addictions and other issues. So uh, a lot of the, the, um, the work I do in ministry involves uh, helping people... Um, understand how to find uh, an abundant and victorious life in their Christian walk. Very practical stuff. And uh, not surprisingly, that's what we're going to be dealing with again today. Uh, the, the title of this message, because I always get texted by Phil afterwards, it's like, well, what would you call your message? It's like, so, so I'm going to give it in advance today. It's uh, Loose Him and let him go. And if you're familiar with scripture, you'll know that we are going to be talking a little bit about Lazarus in John chapter 11, because that's where that is a quote from. So um, if you'll have your Bible or your phone or whatever, you can turn to John chapter 11, and we're going to look at a little bit about... um, Lazarus. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about with Lazarus, and we're not going to cover all of them. Uh, let's just get the background here in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister, sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man, Son of God, may be glorified through it. So, um, so Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, and he doesn't go immediately. In fact, he he waits uh, until things have gone from bad to worse to fatal. And uh, and by the time Jesus shows up. Uh, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, um, and so there's a lot of dialogue that I'm that I won't uh, read here. But uh, uh, both Martha and Mary are very concerned, and and people say, "Gee, if you'd have been here, the Lord, then you know my my brother wouldn't have died." Like, but you know, Jesus never does anything. It doesn't have a purpose behind it. And uh, he purposely allowed Lazarus to die because he wants to show us something about resurrection. But this is not just 
This is not the type of resurrection that Jesus had. When Jesus was resurrected, he had a glorified body. When Lazarus is raised from the dead, he doesn't have a glorified body. He's got the same old body back. He's going to actually die again. But there's something, there's, there's some, some real significant messages that the Lord is, is using in raising Lazarus. So let's go with Martha and Mary and Jesus and, and the disciples and, and go visit the tomb here where Lazarus is laid. In verse 33, it says, Therefore, when, the Je- Je- when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, if you, if you don't memorize a lot of scripture, okay, uh, this is the one, all right? John eleven thirty five. Yes, I can quote scripture. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. All right, you got it. It's got a subject. It's got a verb. That's all you need. Uh, when, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Well, yeah, of course he could have, but didn't want to. Not right then. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Uh... Okay, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. I love the King James here. He stinketh, uh, for he has been dead four days. It's like, ooh, ooh. I know he's my brother, but, you know, he is rotting. It was, there was a point there, you know. Jesus wanted to make the point that, no, we're, we're not dealing with someone who fell asleep and he's been unconscious for four days. No, the stench would tell everybody, this guy is dead, right? There's a point about that. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. Which, there's the title of the sermon today, right? Loose him and let him go. There it is. All right, so let me ask you a question. Did Lazarus walk out of the tomb? Uh, excuse me? He's, he's bound hand and foot. Lazarus did not walk out of that tomb. He was jerked out of that tomb. He was jerked by the power of God and thrust like a statue. Boom, here he is. And he can't move. He is absolutely not able to function. Okay? And that's why Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Okay? He did not 
walk out under his own power. And that is the whole point of what I'm going to be sharing about today. When, when the Lord calls us out of our grave, uh, out of our old life, we are just as bound as Lazarus was and completely incapable of unwrapping ourselves. He didn't tell Lazarus, untie yourself. He told the disciples and the others who were there, you loose him and let him go. Okay? So this is, this is really exciting stuff. Now, first of all, let's, let's, look at the, uh, let's look at the idea of Lazarus uh, having come forth into new life. Uh, there, is a, there is a significant change in both direction and purpose. And this has to do with our new life in Christ. Now, imagine a little dialogue. This is, you won't find this in your Bible, so don't worry about it. But just imagine this dialogue here. Okay, so after Lazarus is unwrapped and he's cleaned up because he, yeah, he stinketh. Uh, now... So, and things have settled down a little bit. There's this dialogue between Jesus and Lazarus. And Jesus says, Lazarus, why don't you pack up a few things? I have some ministry to do in Jericho, and I want you to go with me. And Lazarus says, uh, well, gee, Jesus, that would be great. But you know what the deal is, is that I've been working on my, my brother's new house, and, um, and we're not finished yet. And I really probably ought to get back to that. Jesus says, oh, uh, well, Lazarus, where were you a couple of days ago? And Lazarus says, well, I guess I was, uh, was kind of dead. And Jesus says, right. And I, I brought new life to you, didn't I? Yes, you did, replies Lazarus. Jesus says, your work for yourself has thus come to a close. Is that right? Lazarus says, I see your point. I'll go pack my bags. Okay? So uh, there, is a, there is a break between our old life and our new life. When we, and that's what baptism is a picture of, right? You go into the water, you leave your old life behind, you come out, you are walking in newness of life, and you are there to serve the Lord, who is the one who has resurrected you. All right, so the first, the first aspect of this is that everything is new, and we are now here to serve the Lord. But we have a problem. We have a problem, and it's a significant one, and it's represented by the grave clothes that were wrapped all around Lazarus and would not let him function. And that is the primary thing I want to talk about today, are these grave clothes. So they, they inhibit us and they don't allow us to function in our new life. Now, let's, let's do some brainstorming here. Let's talk about what some of these grave clothes might look like. I want some suggestions. This is, this is now uh, 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 a participation environment. So let me have some... Let me have some comments. Yes, sir. 
Right. Yeah. They would. I think they would normally wrap the uh, the body with like spices, you know, to to keep the odor down. Um, but yeah, so they were tightly wrapped. So what what are some of the things that hinder you from serving the Lord? Go back. Think about back to when you were first born again, or this week, what things hinder you? Yes, sir. Okay, distractions of the world. All right, I like that. Okay, associations. That's, that's on my list. Bad company. Um, I used to be bad company. <laughs> used to love that song. Um, but I don't love it anymore. But uh, that, that was me. Uh, what else? Worries, anxieties. Okay, that's good. Fear. fear. Yeah, we're going to... Fear of failure. That's a really good one. Okay. Fear of man. Okay. Yep, yep. That that is definitely uh, because we are, you know, we we are normally we are self reliant individuals, and when we come into Christianity, we find that relying on ourselves doesn't get us very far. That's absolutely some of the grave clothes. Steve. Okay, all right. Like that. What about what about um, uh, personal trauma? Okay. Um, yep, I, I like that. So some of the things I thought about were, you know, our sinful habits. You know, when when we the day we get converted. We still act, think, and talk almost exactly like we did the day before. All those sinful habits follow us into Christianity. And there are things that have to be stripped away before we can be useful to the Lord. Our religious traditions, our uh, incorrect doctrines, uh, our hang-ups about you know, how we dress and, uh, and all the religious baggage that comes with that. What's that? Habitual sin. Yep, yep. Um, anybody here? Well, I won't ask that question. But, but many people have uh, histories of uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. And if you don't think that interferes with your ability to serve the Lord, you're wrong. I mean, I'm, I've, you know, uh, my personal journey, uh, uh, one of my issues is um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from physical abuse. Uh, another one that, uh, that sometimes interferes is um, uh, financial fear. Uh, now, I, I'm... You know, if if you if you looked at my finances, you would say that's that's not a very rational notion, and I would agree with you. But from the the childhood trauma of 
some bad business decisions my dad made and us, us losing our, our home and having to move away from all my friends and my school. Uh, there was a lot, and, and the impact it had on my mother and, and her emotional stability. It was a, uh, there are times when, when something can hit me wrong and I, I, I just bypass faith completely and go right back to that scared little kid who lost everything. And, and I'll react right out of that. And, and faith won't even be in the picture until the panic settles down. And I begin to actually remember, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, you know, uh, God, God has me and there's nothing to worry about. But sometimes that panic will just hit and those things are, are things that, um, that interfere with my ability to serve the Lord. Steve, you had a comment? Yes, sir. Unforgiveness, resentments, bitterness, all those things about what people have done to us in the past, maybe because of, of you know, uh, abuse that we've endured or business partners or whoever, those things don't go away. <laughs> you know, I, I woke up one day... Uh, I'd been a Christian for uh, over, well over 20 years, and I had to write a paper. I was, I was going through my master's program, and I had to write a paper about a time when I had personally been a victim of violence. It was, it was a class on, um, oh, um, it was on like it wasn't domestic violence, but it was uh, um, kind of like cultural violence. And and the professor wanted us to write a paper about a time when we had been a victim of violence. And so I decided to write about the last time that my my mother had had beaten me. And as I sat down to write that, I could I mean, she was been dead a number of years. I had been a Christian for a long time. And as I sat down, my fingers were shaking, my heart was racing, and I was just as panicked trying to write that as I had been when I was 13 years old. You don't get over those things by osmosis. And Jesus could, could easily have just left all those grave clothes when he brought Lazarus out. He didn't have to bring him with him, but he, but he did. And those are the things that you and I have to overcome. And, and the other important thing about that is that Lazarus could not free himself. He had to depend upon the body of Christ around him to free him, to free him and let him go. That is part of our role as disciples. Is, is, you know, James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There, there is an interdependence in the body of Christ where we cannot get healthy just praying to God. He did not design the system that way. He makes us be humble and transparent with each other so that we are sharing these things with each other. And that is where our healing comes from. And that is something that we do not talk about that in the church today. We come to church, we sit in a pew, we listen to a sermon, we go home, 
And, and there is hardly any interaction. I'm talking about, not about here, but I'm talking about mainstream Christianity today. And so we all stay sick because our secrets keep us sick. And if you want to get healed, then you'd better find a small group where you can share these things with each other and let your brothers and sisters get your grave clothes off while you're getting theirs off. That is how we get healthy. That's how we are able to to share our experiences with each other and find healing and comfort and and help each other grow. Um, Okay, so some other things I put down here were phobias, you know, irrational fears. Those don't just fall away either. Those are things that have to be worked through and dealt with. Um, insecurities. Anybody ever met an insecure female? <laughs> Has anybody ever met anything other than an insecure female? Um, there's a lot of guys who struggle with insecurity too, but I think it's, a, it's almost a uniquely female issue, at least from, from what I can tell over the years. So, so sometimes I react emotionally instead of rationally because of the things that I've been through. And I, I'm guessing I'm probably not alone in that. <laughs> um, all right, so I, the Lord was very gracious to give us uh, uh, some examples of this in Scripture. And one of those I want to reference is uh, about Abraham. So if you turn back to Genesis Chapter 20, we're going to watch his grave clothes come into play here. This is just one of the most appalling passages. (laughs) Poor Abraham, he had some issues. Uh, A man of great faith and a man of great fear. And we're going to look at his fear. So, uh, chapter 20 of Genesis, uh, he was in the land of the Canaanites. It says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Uh, Verse 1. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, Know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. 
And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you did that you've done this thing? So this was not the first time that Abraham had struggled with this. If you go back to uh, Genesis 12, he had another issue when he went to Egypt and uh, had a similar event occur. And remember that, that he, had, he had been told to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to Canaan. And he wasn't immediately obedient. He was supposed to leave everybody behind. He didn't. He took his, his, his father and, and his uh, nephew, and they journeyed up to Haran, and they stayed there until his dad died. And now he has finally got up enough courage to continue his journey, but he's, he doesn't have his father anymore, and he's pretty much on his own, and he is terrified of this idea that when he gets to one of these pagan places, that the men will see how beautiful his wife is, and they will decide to murder him and take her. And so he says, hey, Sarah, i got a great idea. <laughs> Let's preserve my life. And um, tell you what we're going to do. You're going to pretend that um, you are my sister, and I'm just your brother. And so they'll take you into the harem, and they won't kill me. How's that sound? We don't know how Sarah reacted to that because uh, Moses didn't bother to record it, but I assume they probably had some heated discussions about this issue because he was essentially abandoning her to her fate with, you know, uh, Pharaoh or, or the Abimelech or whatever. And, um, and so this is not a very righteous... This is, this is like me saying to God... God Lord Jesus, here, here's what I'm going to do. You know, there are some people that get really offended about you. And so here's what, here's what I'll do. It would, be, would it be okay if, if people were really all right with you, that I told them that I serve you and I'm, 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 your, I'm your child and all is good, but if they really get offended with you, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll just tell them I never heard of you. I, I, I don't have any allegiance to you whatsoever so that they won't hurt me. Are we good? What do you think? Good? No. That's bad, right? That's bad. That, that's not going to sell. And that is exactly what he was doing to Sarah. He was throwing her under the bus so that he wouldn't get hurt. Now, I can, I can perhaps see that when he goes to Egypt, because at that point, he's, not, he, he's following God, but he hasn't entered into a covenant relationship yet. Okay, But this is different. Chapter 20. Chapter 20. What's happened in the, in the previous chapters? He has, he has had uh, Hagar, uh, and he's had Ishmael. But in the chapter before, now he's got, um, in, in chapter 17, he's already been told that Sarah is going to have a child. And God is going to extend his covenant with Sarah's offspring. And so he, he's got to know that because Sarah hasn't had Isaac yet, she hasn't had the baby yet, uh, they, have, they haven't gotten pregnant, he's going to have to stay alive to do that. 
So he knows God is going to keep him alive. He knows that he's, he's going to be okay up here. But in his heart, he's terrified. And he reacts like he did before. So let's see what he says. Because Abimelech wants an answer, and I don't blame him. And Abraham said, verse 11, because I thought, if you want to know how you're going to get yourself in trouble, it's that. It's your thinking. Your thinking determines your actions, determines everything. Everything starts in the mind and in your thought life. And if, if, we, if we're going to lose it, it's going to be in our thought life. That is where the problem arises. Because I thought, let's see what he thought. He thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. Now, he's probably right about that. And they will kill me on account of my wife. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That can't happen. God is, has promised to have Sarah get pregnant and have a child. That can't happen. That was an incorrect thought. And that incorrect thought led him down a road to where he was willing to sell Sarah under the bus and um, to preserve his own life. He was operating not in faith, but in absolute fear. And that fear was based on thought life that he brought with him into his covenant relationship with God, and it had, it had no place. And it was completely irrational from an a, uh, understanding of his covenant relationship with God that couldn't happen. But he wasn't thinking about that. He was operating out of his fear. Now, do you kind of understand a little bit more about what grave clothes look like? They are irrational thoughts. They're not faith-based, but they are, they are from our past, and they interfere with what God can do with us. And, and so, because of that fear, um, and then he tried to justify himself. He said, well, really, she is my sister. He was half-sister. Um, she is the daughter of my, of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So it's like I wasn't really lying completely. I was just being very deceitful and dishonest and misleading, but I wasn't lying. You ever, you ever thought about that, you know? That ever hit you? It's like, yeah, I didn't lie. I just was deceitful, dishonest, and, and misleading. That's all. Um, 13, and it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house. Okay, so this was after he leaves Haran, after um, his dad died. That I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. Wow. Wow. That's harsh. So he was, he was saying, Sarah, I, our future is, is we're going in some dangerous places. And I don't want to get killed because of it. And so you're going to have to say that you are my sister so that I don't get killed, and whatever happens to you, you know, I, I'll come visit you once in a while or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know how that conversation went. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I don't think Penny would be real impressed if I proposed that as a suggestion. Um, but this was, this was his plan of how to deal with these issues. And, it, and whether it was, you know, let's 
put aside whether it was moral or immoral, it's clearly immoral, but if we're talking about preserving his life, it was somewhat rational before he was in a covenant relationship with God. He was trying to, you know, engage in self-preservation. But once he knows God, it is completely beyond the pale ridiculous because God is his covenant partner. God's not going to let anything happen to him that he doesn't, it's not part of his will. So he's got no reason to continue in this train of thinking. But what is reasonable and what is, is reality are many times two different things for us because we are human beings and we have a history. And that history, just like Lazarus's history, comes with us when we begin to walk in newness of life. We don't have a new mind yet. We don't have renewed thoughts. We don't have renewed attitudes. Uh, our will isn't yet uh, bent completely to the Lord's. And so, um, Abraham has to pray for Abimelech so that he won't, his wives won't be barren. I mean, this was embarrassing. You know, it's like, yeah, this, this is my prophet right here, and he's going to pray for you so that bad things don't happen. Well, God, can't you find a better prophet than that? And it's like, yeah, I mean, well, that's what, we, what we got. And you know what? Abraham, at that point in time, was a friend of God. He was in a covenant relationship. And he was still a friend of God. But he had some work that he needed to do. Now, two chapters later, this, this same guy, Abraham, is going gonna, is gonna to make the greatest act of faith that, that the, the world's ever seen. He's going he's gonna to be told, um, you know that son of yours, Isaac? The one who's going to be the heir? Like, well, I want you to go kill him. And, and Abraham is going to go trooping off up uh, Mount Moriah to kill a son. And he's going to be thinking this. He's going to be thinking, I'm going to have offspring through Isaac. And I'm also going to kill him. And so the way that that's going to work is I'm going to kill him and God's going to raise him from the dead. Go read Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll see that's exactly what Abraham was thinking. Now that is faith. That is why he is the father of all of us who are righteous by faith because he is our role model. Unfortunately, he may be our role model in more ways than one. He might also be our role model in sometimes uh, acting as if we are completely faithless because we are reacting out of our history, out of our emotional baggage. So, um, now, thinking about uh, Lazarus, let's go to Romans 12. And see if this doesn't fit. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Are thinking about Lazarus. It's like he is alive from the dead. He's standing before Jesus. And Jesus says, let's go to Jericho. And he says, ah, I want to go work at my brother's house. And uh, it's like... Let's see, Lazarus, have you read Romans 12, verse 1? You're a living sacrifice. That means that you are willingly giving 
yourself to me for service. And by the way, that is your reasonable service. Okay, so that's the first aspect of Lazarus. But then verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is getting rid of the grave clothes. That is ditching all of the negative and messed up thinking that we have brought with us to that point in life, at the point that we surrender to the Lord Jesus, our minds, our attitudes, everything needs to be renewed. And some of those things we're going to see, and many of them we won't, because we're blinded to our own uh, character defects. And that's where we're going to have to have the help of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to say, uh, hey, sister, I, I, listen to yourself talk. Um, does that sound like something that uh, is, is speaking from faith or from fear? Oh, well, I never thought about that. Probably from fear. Yeah, I, I, I sound, that's what it sounds like to me. So maybe you might want to get with the Lord about that. That is how we help one another, is that we are listening to one another and we are holding each other accountable. We are um, engaged in the same work on ourselves as we're letting our, our brothers and sisters deal with us. And, and we all get healthy. We all get to participate in James 5.16 together. <laughs> we get to confess our trespasses one to another and pray for one another that we can be healed, not just physically, but emotionally and, and spiritually. So, so Lazarus, uh, to me, Romans 12, 1 and 2, represents a lot of really the basis of what happens in the life of a Christian as we present ourselves to the Lord. We say, I'm, I'm yours, I'm here to serve you, and oh, by the way, I've got a lot of baggage that needs to be healed, and so let's get to work on it. So, um, look around and challenge yourselves and each other to, to listen to your conversations. Um, if you know you have issues, you know, go to someone and, and deal with that. Um, and this is, this is a collective ministry. This is not just, you know going to, to Brother Phil or whatever, but, but uh, each other, friends, uh, sisters, uh, brothers. Uh, the body of Christ is doing this work. This is not, this is not for just leadership. Uh, this is our responsibility to one another, to pick off the debris and unwrap that nasty old life from ourselves so that we can fully function and serve the Lord. We might have been Christians for 25 years, as was Abraham when this transpired. You know, he'd, he'd known God a long time. Uh, that doesn't matter. It matters is, have we dealt with it yet? Is it still affecting us? Is it still an issue? Um, and, and, and let's get rid of our old ways of thinking so that we can completely cooperate with the Lord in, uh, in the work he wants us to do. 
may we be open to whatever the Lord wants to show us and, uh, uh, and, and work with him. Amen. Thank you, Brother John, for sharing that encouraging word. Were you encouraged with Abraham's weakness? Are you willing that God would encourage someone else with your weakness? I don't think Abraham had any idea that thousands of years later, people from all over the world would be reading this story. (laughs) How embarrassing is that? But did you know God is writing your weakness down too? For the generation to come. Yes. It's not to embarrass us. It's to encourage others. With this word. And this is the word that kept coming to my heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul said. Therefore. God said. Jesus said to Paul. My strength is perfected. In your weakness. Your weak moment. Is when God shows up strong. And Peter, the Holy Spirit, revealed a bit of this to Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you ladies. I personally have a little disagreement with John's assessment on the, that the women are the ones who have these issues. I, I think I do too. Maybe I'm part woman. I don't know. But... My woman is actually stronger in some of those areas than I am. So that's just a personal thing. Don't take it personal. Peter gave us a sneak preview into Sarah's heart when Abraham did this. Have you read that? She didn't panic. Did you know that? In 1 Peter chapter 3, you should read it. He speaks to the women who are married to an unbeliever, an unbelieving husband. A man where she finds she can't trust him in this area. Sarah couldn't trust her husband. So you know who she trusted? God. That's what he says. You women who are married to an unbelieving husband, just like Sarah, who trusted in God, obeyed Abraham. Wow. You want to see in Sarah's heart? There it is window into her soul the Holy Spirit goes further and says she did not panic she didn't panic why because she knew that three chapters earlier God had said to Abraham Abraham do not fear his covenant relationship he spoke to him numerous times up to this point Abraham do not fear why I'll be your shield. I'm your protector. I'm your reward. I'm with you. Sarah heard. She knew that covenant. Maybe Abraham told her, but I believe she knew. And so Sarah's like, well, if you're chicken in this area, I'm going to call upon God. He promised. And the Holy Spirit says, all you women, when your husband fails you, You've got a promise. You've got a God 
a father in heaven who will protect you just like he did Sarah. Don't panic. I'll defend you. Isn't that a good word? So see, there's God's strength in Abraham's weakness. I love the story. Sometimes I pity Abraham, and yet I don't, because I can't wait to talk to him about this when I get to heaven. How about you? Because you know what? I can relate. There are times when I should have been strong in faith and encouraging my wife. I didn't. And she trusted in God for me. Have you been there, husband? I tell you, if there's anything that will humble you and cause you to fall on your face and worship, that's one. I remember one time when our son Christian was, we had a special needs child, and he was very, very sick and in the hospital. He was five years old, and we thought he was going to die. And I was so discouraged because even the brothers around me that I respected told me, I think this is the end, Phil. Just surrender to God. I remember that night in the hospital. I was so angry with God. I was so discouraged. And I said, God, why did you create this boy and make him suffer so terribly? And, and I seen his pain and I was in so much pain. Grave clothes. I didn't didn't know how to take them off. And my honey looks at me. She says, would you just go in the bathroom and cry out to God for us? God could make him live. He can heal him. And I looked at her and I said, no, I can't do that. I just walked out of the room. And I remember I ended up going to the bathroom and screaming at God. I was just in so much pain. But you know who prayed? I repented afterward. She prayed. And God healed. God heard her prayers. Three years later, the Lord took him home. But the Lord gave us three most amazing, precious years with our precious son that were so full of moments of joy. They're treasure. It's a treasure chest in my heart. Because she prayed. She trusted God when I couldn't. So men, Abraham showed us that it's okay. If we humble ourselves like he did and grew in faith. You see, Hebrews says that there's a secret about Abraham's faith. It never says he was perfect, but it says he did not grow weaker in faith, but he grew in faith. That means his faith had to get stronger. And the Lord showed us how strong it had to get. And that we can have the same faith. We've got the same opportunity our faith to grow and many times the Lord uses the women in our life our wives or sister or mother stronger faith than ours to get us there thank you John for sharing that word um, we'll I think the noon meal is about ready we'll dismiss and 
Thank the Lord for the food. And I just want to thank you all for coming out and joining us today. Uh, it's a joy to fellowship with you. I tell you, it's one of the great joys in my heart. And you know, you know the word fellowship? You know what it is? Fellows in the same ship. So when you get your food, hang out with us. <laughs> That's true. You might sink. You will sink. That's because the men said they couldn't sink, right? Not everybody died. Some had faith. You know, there's a really good story about the Titanic, by the way. Have you read that, that the preacher who was on the Titanic, his story? John and Penny have read it. As he was floating around on that water with all those other people in the cold Atlantic Ocean, dying. He was preaching the gospel. Be saved. Look unto Jesus. He will save you from your sins. Believe in him. Repent from your sins. He was preaching into the dark waters to the souls around him, leading them to Jesus until he finally sank. And he died. Anyway, I just wanted to encourage you as we sit around the tables, we're fellows in the same ship. Let's un- take off some of our grave clothes with each other, right? It's okay. We all have them. Get to know each other. Ask each other, what's the Lord doing in your life? I tell you, it's awesome. I find that fellowship, real life, encouragement. Steve? That's true. Yep, they did. As a ship went down, they went down with the ship singing. Yep. Near my God to thee. Indeed, I, I, I believe many souls found Jesus that night that may have never found him as their personal Savior had they landed safely in New York City. God only knows, and one day we'll know. Um, there's one more thing that I'd just like to really encourage you with, the, uh, a burden the Lord has been putting on my heart, a care. Is when I say burden, it's a, it's a care. Um, and that is for the churches in Russia and the Ukraine. Many of us have probably followed the news a little bit at least, and we know there's a, you know, a rumor of war. Hey, Lucas, pay attention, please. There's a rumor of war um, going on, and, and the Lord has just been, nations do what they do, you know. But there are people of the living God, our brothers and sisters in both countries, who love Jesus with all their hearts. Let's unite in prayer with them. And the churches, um, I got this post from, I think it's Voice of the Martyrs or someone who is there and involved in, the, in, in their lives, the churches' lives, are saying that the churches are coming together today in fasting and prayer, and uniting themselves before the Lord, calling upon His name, that God would be glorified and strengthen His people and their faith in this time. So I just want to urge you and encourage you as you walk through and you maybe listen to the news, or even if you don't, let's pray. God's people, Lel. Can you say
Yes. There's a, there's a dear brother who was going to be here today, uh, who's Ukrainian. They came to the U.S. some time ago. Uh, and, and Katie and I got to know them, them and their family very well. We were going to fellowship with them today, but their family got sick, so he couldn't make it. And he was sharing with me this, the, the strain that is on the churches. Because there are many, he's one of these. There, were many, there are many people in Eastern, Eastern Ukraine that speak Russian and, and have Russian relatives. And so there's kind of the mix of people there in the eastern part of the country, and, and he's one of them. And so they, they speak Russian and Ukraine, and they have relatives on both sides, and, and this just tears their heart apart, you know, for both. So, dear Heavenly Father, we, we know you said, Jesus, there will be wars, and there will be rumors of wars in the last day. But we as your people, the God of all flesh, the God who controls leaders' hearts like rivers. The God who will bring this old world to pass away and will create a new one for all those who love you and whom you know, whom you have adopted into your family. Lord, as we now are still here, I pray use this time to increase our love for each other, both our dear brothers and sisters in Russia and in the Ukraine, that your people, Lord, would be united in your kingdom of love, in the kingdom of your dear son that would transcend, Lord, nationalities and, and our, our leaders' agendas, whatever they may be. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray Draw your people to yourself and strengthen their hearts and their faith through this time, Lord. Help them not to panic, but to trust in their God and to love one another. That the world may know that you have sent Jesus because we love one another. And that we're your disciples. We pray that for our dear brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this food and for this time of fellowship and pray that you would be exalted in our lives. Shepherd our, each of our souls this week. We come to you as our shepherd. Will you lead us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake? In Jesus' name, amen.